This is Strange Assembly episode 324, Gen Con 2022. I'm Chris Stevenson, and you're probably going, whoa, 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 Chris. It's November. How is it your releasing a Gen Con episode in November. That was three months ago. To which I respond, folks, isn't Gen Con important enough to be worth thinking about and celebrating year-round? I know Gen Con would like you to, you know, go to their website and buy merch all the time. But more importantly, okay, more realistically, let's face it, my life just has been busy. We had some coverage from the con. We've had individual product coverage since then, including a lot of role-playing game releases like we've had lately. So yeah, I'm just now getting around to talking about other things I played at Gen Con that were more than just pictures, but you know, was not something I was doing a, a full standalone review for. Now, Gen Con 2022 was a bit different for me because this is the first time I've taken one of my kids. My oldest kid, who was 11 at the time of Gen Con 2022, has been asking to go to Gen Con for years, and I kept saying, oh, you're not old enough, and then finally I was going to allow attendance, and things got blown up because of COVID, and then the following year uh, they changed the dates to be later, so it would have been missing school, that wasn't going to happen. But this year, it's during August, as usual, no school, and the, the child's old enough to attend, and maybe I should have figured out a way to have that happen before I had to pay uh, for a full-price bread. <laughs> but the impact that that had on my Gen Con is that it kind of changes and limits the sorts of activities that I did. So there's a bit less of game coverage in this year, because a lot of what we did was role-playing games, because that was kind of a sweet spot where it was something that we could both do in a way that I can't sit down with an 11-year-old and do like essentially a two-hour learn-to-play of some heavy Euro game. Those are playable in our family, but they're the sorts of things where you kind of have to break up in a chunk rather than doing two or three hours at a crack with a younger kid, at least our kid. For example, we played Starfinder Paizo still runs the Starfinder and Pathfinder Academy games up in the Sagamore, and those are games aimed at kids. So we played in one of those. We played several instances of Dungeons & Dragons, including somebody who was using D&D 5th Edition to run years of Harry Potter set after the books. But game-wise, let's start with talking about two kid specific games and then go on to some of the other things. Although, again, all of this is something that I was able to play with myself and the 11-year-old. So, first, we have two games from Lucky Duck. These are both app-assisted games. One of them is called Yummy Yummy Monster Tummy, and the other one is Kids Chronicles Quest for the Moonstones. Kids Chronicles Quest for the Moonstones, which is the one I like better out of these two, is closer to a traditional game, a traditional board game. You have a board, you have cards, it's just that there is an app that you can use to recognize where you are on the board, to recognize which item cards you're holding up. So uh, there's some story in there, and when you find the right things on the app, 
It will play voices for you and you can move the camera around in, I guess, augmented reality mode and look for where the item is. And then once you find the item, then it lets you go get the card for it. That sort of thing. Ultimately, you're puzzling, very straightforward puzzling sorts for little kids through to get to the end of the story. So both the 11-year-old and my then 8-year-old enjoyed that, playing it once we, we got it home. But the one that they liked more was Yummy Yummy Monster Tummy. This one is a app and cards. There's some sort of plot, which doesn't really matter. The important thing is that, hey, there's a monster. The monster is a particular color. All of the players have a handful of cards that have different colors in them. And you are collectively trying to play cards to feed to the monster that match the color of the monster. And the closer that you get, the more you fill the monster up. And then the object is to try to fill up as many monsters without using as many cards, that sort of thing. There's a a little bit more to it. Some of the cards are vitamins. The monsters don't like vitamins. So you can't use a vitamin card this turn if somebody used a vitamin card that turn, that sort of thing. This is entirely for kids. Maybe there are adults out there who would enjoy playing this. I'm not one of them. I don't think I'm supposed to be one of them. But the target audience for this, right, my 11-year-old and my 8-year-old absolutely adored, and not just my 11-year-old and 8-year-old, but my kids and their cousins who have played some game stuff, but not in the way that my kids have too. They all love this. They all sat around and played it together. Very much excitement for the younger set there. That was yummy, yummy monster tummy. On the opposite end of the spectrum is Forges of Ravenshire by BA Games. This is not out yet. Forges of Ravenshire is a heavier Euro game. They had a preview of it at the booth at Gen Con. It hasn't even hit Kickstarter yet, so you can still go check that out. It's one of those things, if you go on Kickstarter and search for Forges of Ravenshire, then you can subscribe to be notified when the project goes live. This is a dice worker placement game. So you're rolling your dice workers, you place them on a location out on the board, and that activates the location. Then you pick up dice from somewhere else, and it activates that location. And then you take the dice that you picked up, and you put them on your board. And at that point, the color of the dice matters because it's changing which guild you're activating. And so every time, right, you're doing three things. Put out dice, pick up dice, activate the guild ability. That's the gathering phase. Then in the production phase, you have these dice workers, and you're now playing them on areas of your forge to activate the sort of abilities that you'd expect to see in a Euro game, right? You're getting resources. Again, you're turning those resources into other resources, charcoal and steel, and then into the items that you're then fulfilling contracts to sell money. It had a lot going on, so definitely on the heavier end of things. But if you like that heavier end of things, it was a nice combination of having to track all of these different things. Uh, again, this is Forges of Ravenshire from BA Games. Currently, you can sign up on Kickstarter to be notified when the product launches. Then there was Catapult Feud from Vesuvius Media. This was a 2021 
release. And this was a game that we picked out to play because it seemed, you know, something that I would enjoy and that the 11-year-old would particularly enjoy as well. And this is a physical game where each player is building a castle out of these blocks. And then you have little soldiers who you can put probably behind the blocks. You don't have to, but you want to try to stop them from getting knocked down. And then each player has a catapult. And you are using the catapult to launch missiles, balls, at the other player's fort, taking turns trying to knock down those soldiers. In addition to that, there's some card play, very basic card play. There's a small deck of cards. You have a small number of cards. They do a limited number of things like let you maybe rearrange some of your knocked down castle structure to protect the remaining figures. We had a ticketed demo of this, and we basically sat there and just played this game three or four times in a row. There was enough interest in the game for us to keep on playing it. Not as much gameplay-wise going on there as like Cube Quest, but definitely was something that got us excited for this play. We also got the chance to step down and try out Onslaught. Onslaught is the upcoming Dungeons and Dragons branded skirmish game from WizKids. If you know WizKids, right, they make miniatures games. WizKids also makes a great, great line of pre-painted miniatures. And I really like their miniatures because they are pre-painted and they're at what I think at least is a reasonable price point for what you're getting. So it looks nice. It doesn't break the bank. Onslaught is a game that uses these same, not hero clicks, but just normal Dungeons and Dragons sized miniatures to do a, a skirmish game. I think the default is just two players, but you can also do like two player teams. It's not just playing D&D combat. It has a different sort of system. It has objectives. It has cards that define what the different abilities of the characters are. The characters can get experience, which adds more cards of stuff to them. It was a relatively quick play. It was a fun play. You can then turn around and use these miniatures as as pieces in your Dungeons & Dragons game, which is a nice thing for me. It comes in at the decent sort of price point. I know I don't usually talk about price point a ton here, but I think you have to think about it with miniatures games. So the base set for this, which comes with maybe 21 miniatures, one of them a a reasonably sizable dragon, is 140 bucks. The expansions are slated to be like six figures for 60. So that is more than just buying WizKids pre-painted miniatures. Like if you're just going to go out and buy the individual player character miniatures, or if you're going out and buying like a orc warband sort of thing that's it's more for that than what you pay per figure but of course those are just the miniatures and this is also a game i think it's got a solid amount of potential you get a, a solid game and you have the ability to use these as miniatures in your DD game that is onslaught from WizKids. the one game that i'm going to talk about today that i didn't actually get the chance to play. I mean, there was it, it was not possible to play it at Gen Con, but that I thought looked really cool, and so I want to mention it, is Weirdwood Manor from Grey Ridge Games. Weirdwood Manor is based on some books. I think there's some hardcover books, there's some interactive storybook apps. 
let me be clear. I know exactly zero about that. This is based nothing on that. So what drew me to Weirwood Manor, the board game, is this customizable board that it has. This is a a fully co-op game where you have a group of valiant companions that are protecting the manor from invading, you know, the the fey monster and clockwork minions and whatever. And as those things move, time passes, and as time passes, the manor actually shifts around. So the board is this circle. It's overall a circle, and then it's got concentric circles in it, and those different rings can rotate and shift how the board goes. And so that looked really cool. The temporal mechanics look cool. You're also just doing some more Euro mechanics than you might have in maybe some of the cooperative games where it's just, let's see how long we can survive the onslaught. There's recruiting additional companions. There's making your character better through experience. There's dice drafting. There's playing cards. There's taking actions depending on which location you're in. It just looked really interesting. I did not get to play it. I just had explanation provided. This is going to be on Kickstarter. I do not know when, but if you want to keep an eye out for it, I know I'm going to be. That is Weirdwood Manor, a game that we did get the chance to play that is not new, is Asking for Trobles. And you can see that Asking for Trobles, there's already some punny wordplay there. So you're going to get a solid amount of that in this game. Now, I'm usually not super enthused about that, but it, it was okay here in the base set. When you added some of the expansion stuff, it gets pretty funny. This was originally released in 2015. Then there was a second edition. It's still fully available, including the expansions. At its core, Asking for Troubles is a Euro game. The theme is that there are these Troubles things out there that are pests and you have to go and deal with them. But the way that you're dealing with them is you gather one set of resources and you use those to get a second set of resources, and then you mostly use that second set of resources, some of the first sort, to capture the Trobles, which is going to the planet where there's a Trobol card and buying, you're essentially buying the card with the resources. And then you take the resource card and you turn that in for money. And then you use money to do more stuff. So it's at its core Euro mechanics. But the theme is a lot more lighthearted than that. The locations are different planets and comets and asteroid fields and the like within this solar system. There's a nifty mechanic where there's a base function for each location, but you can add additional connections. And then when you add that connection, you pick which location you're associating it with. And now whenever you go to that location, you can take additional actions. It's worker placement. It is bumping worker placement, which I think was less common when this game came out, but you're probably familiar with by now, right? So that's the, me being on a space does not block someone else from going there. But if someone else goes to where my figure is, then my worker comes back to my hand. And that's good for me because this is one of those games where you put out workers one at a time, the ships, uh, the workers are ships. And then when you have no ships left to put out and it's your turn, your turn is essentially picking all of your pieces back up. There's some catching of bounties and there's some other objectives. What kind of pushed it higher on the entertainment level beyond just this, you know, a solid Euro foundation 
was the comedy, especially once you started in adding these expansion things. There's just lots of references. If you do not get any kick out of references to movies and TV shows, this isn't going to do anything for you. When you look at the ship, there's a ship that looks an awful lot like a particular ship from Star Wars, but it's called the Centurion Hawk. And there's a ship that looks an awful lot like the Milano from Guardians of the Galaxy, but it's the Alyssa, which I also appreciate because, hey, why not? I actually know who that is. Not always great on who uh, actors are, but Alyssa Milano, I know. There's a Torbis that looks like a police call box for some reason. So you get you get that sort of reference, which just adds in to the entertainment if you're familiar with all of these sci-fi and fantasy properties. Both the 11-year-old and I enjoyed playing this. He likes the lighter stuff more than he liked that one. So, you know, if you ask him, does he want to play Yummy Yummy Monster Tummy or Catapult Food, he's going to pick that, but he did like it. I liked it more than those because, you know, I'm an adult with a long history of playing designer board games, so I think that's to be expected. So that's asking for troubles from breaking games. The last thing I'm going to talk to you about today is Sorcerer's Arena from the OP. Sorcerer's Arena is a Disney skirmish game. Since Disney has announced its own CCG, I think we're just going to see lots of broader Disney games. This one right now is just the Disney stuff. This doesn't have Marvel or Star Wars in it right now. So your base set, it has somebody from Gargoyles, it has Mickey, it has Gaston from Beauty and the Beast, it has Maleficent, you know, your Disney, Pixar, movies and TV shows. And like this is a miniature stir- skirmish game, basically. So right, kind of like Onslaught. This is a miniature skirmish game. Different theme, very different gameplay, and, and very different sort of minis. These are acrylic standees, so that lets you keep the cost much lower. I, I personally would think that the pre-painted miniatures are nice, but also the Sorcerer's Arena Epic Alliance's core set doesn't cost $140. Pick what you want. But as acrylic standees, these do look nice. They're acrylic, so they're the transparent either way. You can see it from both sides. Really sharp graphics. The gameplay was pretty distinctive, too. You have to do things like care about which symbols are on your card, because there's construction elements of this about which heroes you put together and what you have in your deck, because different heroes are going to ask you to look at cards on the top of your deck and see what's going on. Everybody had unique mechanics. Everyone played pretty differently. They had a pretty creative way of doing status effects, where you you know you have this row off on the side to help keep track of all the different status effects because everybody would do something. You know, the, the Sorcerer's Apprentice, Mickey, you have to keep track of how many broom tokens he has. And then the broom tokens, I, if I recall correctly, didn't do anything on their own, but a bunch of his cards referenced those. Whereas, you know, the voodoo curse sort of cards would go on other players' characters and those would tend to do something. It was a solid little skirmisher. Again, both of us liked it. I think we both liked this one about equally. I think the 11-year-old was more enthused about the theme than I was. I was more enthusiastic about the more unique aspects of the game. I mean, it is, it is competitive, notwithstanding the Disney theme. It is a game with more serious strategy. So for the two of us playing for the first time, one of the downsides was that I much more quickly grokked how the mechanics work together. So it 
got a little lopsided more quickly than one would like. But while that's bad for that one individual game that we played, that's good in the long run because you want a game that rewards some level of play skill and people understanding how the mechanics work together uh, and that sort of thing. So that is Sorcerer's Arena from the OP. The base game and two expansions are out now. So you get eight characters in the base game, which is about 50 bucks. You get three characters for about 30 bucks in each of the expansions. Those are also available as we speak. I will also note that there is a Sorcerer's Arena app, which I'm guessing is kind of just this game, but in an app. I have not played that, can't comment on that, but it is out there. So that's all that I have for Gen Con 2022. Like I mentioned earlier, if you go on our website, you can see some longer full reviews of some of the individual games, or possibly some of these got their own episodes back from Gen Con. And if you tune into our Instagram at something like Gen Con or PAX, which I'm going to in December, then you can get up to the minute things actually from those conventions. I'll be honest, that's far and away the time when you're most going to see new anything on the Strange Assembly Instagram feed. You've been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to this podcast there, or you can subscribe in the Apple Podcast app, Google Play Music, Amazon, Spotify, whatever your podcatching service is, you should be able to find us there. If you cannot find us on your favorite podcatching service, please let me know so I can fix that situation. I can be reached at chris at strangeassembly.com. You can also reach us at the usual social media. So we're at strangeassembly on Twitter, facebook.com slash strangeassembly, at strangeassembly on Instagram. Always like to hear from you. Feel free to just jump in and say hi. You can also find us at the Strange Assembly channel on YouTube if you want to see mostly role-playing game videos. But until then, I'm Chris Stevenson. This is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming.